on how majestic is your name. Psalm 8, to the choir master, according to the Gereth, a psalm of David. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the God. Thanks be to God. Devane Umakamagame on Davadaga. This is Sanjay. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for reading through us. So, so this morning we are reading, or we were taking a selected reading from Psalms as our mini series uh, for, for, for the summer. So, so this morning we're going to consider uh, Psalm 8, uh, as just, just read uh, a moment ago. So before we dig into this passage, uh, let, me, let, let me pray for us one more time, and then we can read uh, the words together. Gracious Father, we give thanks once again this morning. We thank you that your love endures forever, that it never fails. We thank you, Father, for your mercy. We confess this morning our own sins, our own shortcomings before you. Forgive us, Father. Though there are many ways in which we have failed, Father, this morning we stand on your promises that we are never far from your mercy and grace. So we thank you for that, Father. We also thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word. We thank you for the ultimate word. The word became flesh. So, Father, living God, this morning, help us to hear your word that we may truly understand, the understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow you in faithfulness, in obedience, seeking your honor and glory, Father, in all that we do. Because we ask this through Christ, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to follow along with, with the scripture this morning. So Psalm 8, you may pick it up right away that Psalm 8 begins and ends with the same phrase. So the phrase is, O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. So I think right from the get-go, it, it's safe to say that this is the main point that the psalmist tries to drive home. So this reminds me, I would say probably rather painfully, uh, of, of my college experience. Uh, so for, for a reason I could not comprehend, and even until today, I, I decided to, to double major in, uh, in mathematics. Uh, so, you know, so I had this course uh, called Real Analysis in, uh, in, in you know, to, to get my degree in mathematics. Uh, so I had this particular course, uh, this, this, this course, Real Analysis course, re- really what it does throughout the duration of the course is to, uh, is to prove uh, theorems. Uh, so in, in mathematics lingo, uh, a theorem uh, is, is simply a mathematical statement. Uh, so it's a statement that had been, you know, brought forward by, you know, some experts in the past and then it become part of the, uh, you know, part of the subject. So in this course, in all of our homework and a lot of, you know, our tasks, uh, we, we, we would typically be given uh, a statement, a mathematical statement, again a theorem, and then our test was simply to deconstruct those statements, uh, you know, use logical arguments and inference, deduction. There, there were a bunch of other rules and techniques that for the life of me I would not ever remember that ever. Uh, and then ultimately, the whole idea of that deconstructing uh, the theorem is to come back and to prove that the statement was true. Uh, so if one did that particular exercise correctly, uh, you know, you would end up, uh, and this is, of course, after several pages, right, you would end up with the same exact mathematical statement as I was given at the beginning of the problem. So only then, only then, when you get to that point, you get to write at the end of the paper, at the end of your thesis, uh, as a sign of closure, this word right here, QED. Uh, so QED is a Latin for quad erat demonstratum, uh, uh, literally translated, uh, which was to be demonstrated. Uh, You could also say that word means, you know, it has been proven or I have proven. Uh, So I did not get to that QED very often in my own experience. Uh, So so when I did get to this word, I usually wrote it in a very big letters just to make sure that my professors know that I did come back to to the original statement uh, that, that was given to me. Uh, So what happened here, what you see in Psalm 8, David has his own QED moment. Uh, So this is David QED. Uh, David is demonstrating or proving the verse that we just read. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's exactly what we're going to unpack this morning. You know, what what is this being demonstrated? What is it being proven now uh, by this statement? So we're going to take the first three verses together first. Uh, the first three verses says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. That's the first verse right there. So I wanted to just take a quick second here or so to, to mention the first three words in this, in this sentence because I think it deserves special consideration. So you may notice that there are two lords uh, in the very first line there. Uh, the first lord, uh, in my Bible, it's, uh, it's capitalized. It may be as well in your Bible. Uh, so this is the Hebrew word for God, uh, Lord God. So this is the personal covenant name of, of God, uh, so Yahweh. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word to be. So when God revealed himself for the first time to Moses in the burning bush, uh, this was from Exodus uh, chapter 3, you know, he said that I am who I am. So that's the word right there. Uh, so this speaks to, to the nature of God as being self-existent. So God always exists in all eternity. So he is the only uncreated being in the universe. And then there's a second Lord. Uh, the second Lord, you know, typed differently. Uh, this, this, this word right here is a different Hebrew word that translated to Lord in, in English. So this is a Hebrew word, Adonai. Uh, this is a title of respect. Uh, this is a title... Uh, this is, you know, when you want to recognize somebody with authority, with sovereignty, this is the word that you use, uh, Adonai. Uh, another word for that, uh, you, you, you could substitute this word with master. Uh, and then the third word, majestic. Uh, so this is a word that we don't use in our everyday language. Uh, and this, this majestic implies royalty. Uh, kingship, royalty. The Hebrew word is Adar. Uh, so literally, this word translated as mightier than everything else, so above everything else. So just that three words alone, if you com combine those three words together, this is the picture that you get. The picture that you get is a God who is eternal, who is above, mightier than everything else, but it's also a God who has graciously entered into a covenant relationship with his people as their master or their sovereign Lord. So the picture that you have here is David standing before God and then he declares his reference but then also his humility, knowing that this God that he faced is a God that is so big, so almighty. As David celebrates here the supreme power of the eternal God. So the supreme power of God, where is that demonstrated? So David argues that in all the earth, as we are told here, that God, the eternal God, is more than just his personal God. It's more than just God of the Israel. But his name is excellent 
in, in all the earth. And the supreme power of God is also above the heavens. We read from first one and also from first three later on. First one says that you have set your glory above the heavens. And then in first three, David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. So the earth in David assessment is not enough to measure the glory and excellence of God. His glory is above the heavens. His glory is way, way up there. So this is interesting because uh, astronomers, you know, have taken interest a long, long time, right, in the universe. Uh, so we know more about universe today than years, years ago. So astronomers and, and, and you know, many other smart people, right, as they study universe, they come to a better understanding, they come to a better conclusion, it becomes more obvious, become more evident uh, that the universe is so massive. You know, the universe is, is big, right? So this is uh, an image taken over the course of 16 years uh, by a telescope. Uh, so this happened to be a Hubble telescope, which by now is an old technology because there's a new telescope now out there the James Webb Telescope. So this is, you know, by, by and large, uh, an old technology. Um, but this is a picture of a small patch of, of a night sky. So about the size of a moon. So, so if you go tonight and then you look up the skies, you kind of like see the moon out there. So the moon is probably about this size, right, with your fingers. If you just kind of concentrate this patch right here and then you took the picture of that small patch over and over again for 16 years. Uh, this is what you get. This is the picture that you get. Uh, it doesn't look that all interesting there. It's just a bunch of dots here. Uh, but what's in it, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing. Uh, so what you see there is a collection of 265 galaxies just in this little patch right there, just a little patch uh, out there. So I mentioned galaxies, uh, so 265,000 galaxies. So each galaxy, you know, astronomer has, has estimated it could easily contain 100 to 200 billion, B, with the B, billion of planets. So, so let that sink in, right? So that's a big, big number, uh, to, you know, to, to contain. Uh, so we can't even begin to comprehend how big the universe is. It's just so massive. That's the heavens that David is talking about. Now, David doesn't have the benefit of a telescope. You know, as far as I know, the tel telescope wasn't there in David's time. So what he does, you know, when David looks up into the vastness of the night sky, the moons and the stars, what he sees is God's fingerprint all over there. He's overwhelmed, and there's nothing that he can do except praising the Lord. So that's the supreme power of God right there. It's all the earth above the heavens, 
But also in verse 2, we are told that the power of God is also over the enemies. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. In my Bible, there's a superscription underneath the title of, uh, of this psalm. The superscription say, says, uh, To the choir master, according to the Githith, a psalm of David. So the word that is word to note there is the word according to the Githith or on the Githith in, in other translation. The, the etymology of this particular Hebrew term is, has, been, has been debated, you know, all, you know, many years, subject to debate among biblical scholars. Uh, but one conclusion, many have believed that Githith, this particular word, is derived from Gath. Uh, so so Githith uh, could possibly be, you know, or likely be a string musical instrument from the city of Gath. Uh, now you may wonder, what is Gath? What is the city of Gath? So this, this city is an ancient city in the Philistine. Uh, man, you may not be familiar with the city, but you're familiar with their hometown hero. Their hometown hero is this big man dude named Goliath, right? So you may recall from your Sunday school there, Goliath, Goliath comes from the city of Gath. So in First uh, Samuel uh, chapter 13, or 17 rather, uh, the whole story was uh, told where in the providence of God, David against all odds defeating Goliath. And Goliath there is described Goliath of Gath. Uh, so it's been suggested uh, you know, by many that this psalm was composed by David uh, as a hymn of praise uh, in honor of God who gave David epic triumph over Goliath of Gath. So the point is this. So the point is that David, knowing, you know, in spite of all the evidence of God's glory in his creation, David understands that there are still adversaries that oppose him as he goes through his daily day-to-day so Satan, and you may experience this as well, Satan and his fellow adversaries, they work around the clock to undermine God, the eternal God. But what David declares here is the covenant God that he worshiped, the covenant God that he praises, that eternal God, the Yahweh of Israel, has no rival. So the enemies have no power over the people of God. And that alone, in and itself, is worth for celebrating, is worth for praising. God is so mighty, mightier than anything else. So I love the pictures that is being, pres- you know, being presented here. So the picture of strength, the, pre- the picture here is not... You know, it's not very strong. In my estimation, babies and infants, uh, I can't think of anything weaker or more helpless than a baby. Uh, 
so yesterday we were with a bunch of friends. I got to play with a three-month-old baby, super cute, super happy baby. But he's, he's pretty weak, you know. He's, he's pretty helpless. You know, when I take something away from him, he's pretty much helpless. He just stares at me and then like, okay, what's going on there? So this, you know, this baby, as cute as he is, he's, he's weak, he's, he's helpless. The same God who ordains strength out of the mouth of babies, out of mouth of something, you know, someone that is weak, the same God also gives strength to us in the midst of our weaknesses over our enemies. So this morning, David invites us, joining him to look at God, to worship Lord, because God's name, because he is majestic. We are invited to give him the highest praise and honor because he is all over in the, er- in the earth and in the splendor of the heavens. It's a beautiful picture that we have here. In Psalm 8. And then next, in the following verses, in verse 5 to 8, we learn that David also considered God's glory in his most prized creation. So in God's glory is manifested in God's most awesome creation, which is mankind. So you and me. Uh, So moreover, Genesis tells us that not only God creates us, uh, but God also gives us the responsibility and privilege of ruling the world as his co-agents. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God instructs us to be be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the living things that move on the earth. So here again, David, he's considering his own mortal body, he's considering his own flesh, but then he also considered the creation all around him, the creatures around him, the sheep, we were told, the oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. And then he understands, he considers the dominions that God gives to him. He falls again on the ground and he praises God all over again. David sees the fingerprints of God in all creation. He is once again at awe. Everywhere he sees, everywhere he turns, he's overcome by the reality that God has given him so much. God's glory is manifested. So I would also submit to argue this morning, right, that the fingerprints of God are not only in the things that are tangibles, right? Not not the things that we can touch, not in the things that we can smell, not not only on the things that we can see, But the evidence of God's fingerprints are also in our circumstances as well. 
uh, our own personal victories, our own struggles day by day, they are not outside the realm of God's majestic power of God's fingerprints. So there is this song on, on the radio uh, that our family has been enjoying lately. Uh, it, so we were, we were on a road trip last weekend, and you know, when we heard this song on the radio, we blessed the, the volume up, and then we kind of you know, sang along. Uh, the song is called, simply called Fingerprints. Uh, it's, it has a very catchy tune. Uh, that, that's, that's mostly why we like this song, because it's easy to kind of you know, catch, catch the tune and then sing along. Uh, but I also love the premise of the song. So the song explores the idea that moments in your life, uh, as mundane as it may be, you know, changing diaper, you know, sweeping the floors, answering call from your boss, you know, whatever it may be, those moments, those little moments, you know, are, are very precious in, in, in this life. Uh, those are gold moments right there. Uh, so the author, uh, the author, his name is Dan Bremness. Uh, so he has this quote, which, which, which I think is very, uh, you know, very profound. Uh, so he said, if the quote is here or not, but the quote is says that so many of the things that we once considered extraordinary, we now consider it as ordinary. Uh, so think of all the things that you had hope, you know, you're, you know, you wish, pray for years ago. Now that things that you have now, you know, could be your job, house, the city you live in, spouse, children. Uh, so according to him, uh, the, the truth is, you know, we are surrounded by this moment of extraordinary. Uh, and sometimes all we have to do, we just have to open our eyes to realize them. So what he's saying here is, you know, we take a lot of things for granted, uh, and myself included here. Uh, we, we have this tendency to, to feel entitled, right? So we, we kind of deserve this, you know, we deserve that because we work hard for it. Uh, we, we lose sight the fact that the thing, the moment, you know, our possession, the things that we have in life and our individual moments you know, ultimately, they, they are gifts. They are extraordinary gifts from, from God. Uh, we were told earlier that we are created in His image, right? So the, the Latin there is imago Dei. So those are God's image. Uh, and that's a big gift for us. Uh, so mentally, right, as an image of God, we, we can reason and choose. Uh, we can... You know, read, write book. We can, you can sit here and ponder about the, the wonder of, of God. Uh, we can, you know, paint. We can enjoy some music, right? Symphony. You know, you can work on your math problem. You, you, you're mentally, you, you can reason and choose. Uh, but also morally, uh, you know, you know, you know, bad and good, right? You can separate you know, what's evil and what's not evil. Uh, socially, you are different than the animal kingdom. You can make friends. You can, you can love others. You can have hope, right? You can, uh, you can have this fellowship. Uh, and those are, again, sets us apart from all the other creation. So that's why we are 
created in His image, we are imago Dei. Those are, those are different. Those are very meaningful moments, very profound moments. So if we have this attitude, right, if you have this attitude when we, we pause, you know, when we see every aspect of our life, good, bad, indifference as, as a result of God's work, as a result of God's fingerprints, you know, nothing less than extraordinary, we would have a different view of life. So we will be at awe, right? We will be more inclined to give honor, to praise God, uh, and we will be more like David. Uh, so David's invitation this morning to, to, you and I, to, to you and me this morning is worship the Lord because the Lord has created you in His own image. And then the Lord gives you the creation all around you to enjoy. And that's the Lord who is kind, the Lord who is merciful, the Lord who is comforting. That's the Lord that David praises, the Lord that David gives honor to. So I want to close this with, with one final thought. So as you sit here, you know, all of us, uh, you know, if you're honest to yourself, if we are honest to yourself, we always have this voice in our head uh, when, when we think that we are insignificant, right? Especially when you look at the stars out there, you look at your creation, you look at others, you know, who may be more successful than, 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 than we are, and then you have this thinking that, you know what, I'm not that valuable, you know, I'm not that significant, uh, and, and you feel overlooked, you, you maybe feel dejected uh, or dispirited. Uh, so Chuck Swindle, Chuck Swindle is an author and pastor, wrote, wrote many, many books, uh, he, he has this observation with, which I thought is, is, is very, very much uh, on point. So Chuck Swindle uh, says this. So in our youth, so when we were young, we tend to derive a lot of self-worth from our ability to contribute to others or to assist others in their need. Which makes sense, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of energy in your youth and, you know, you're, you're excited about this world and so on. Then, then he says, Ever so slowly, through a chain of events, or sometimes abruptly without warning, we find ourselves sidelined and no longer in demand. One circumstance or another can seize our usefulness and leave us reeling in its devastating wake. Injustice can take our freedom. Slander can take away our reputation. Illness can take away our strength. Bad fortune can take away our wealth. Depression can take away our hope. 
merely growing older can move us out of the fast lane by being passed over for a promotion or being benched because a stronger player joins the team, we feel overlooked. It hurts. So I don't know how many of you can resonate to, to these observations here. I hope you do, because I, I, I am too. This is, this is a very uh, observation, right? So over time, uh, we, you know, we, we have that tendency to become less and less importance. And, you know, all of a sudden we feel small, we've, we've, we feel overlooked, uh, and we feel insignificant. And even worse, sometimes those kind of feeling, those, those type of thinking uh, creep into our, you know, day-to-day -day life, and then we become depressed and distressed. And, you know, those feelings overwhelm us. We become ever, become smaller and smaller. Uh, so the final thought I wanted to offer today is if we do have that feeling and if that feeling overwhelms us, what do we do? What, what are we supposed to do if that feeling overwhelms us? And what can we learn from this psalm to be able to overcome that? Well, I think the answer is that we have to look beyond ourselves. We must look at something, or rather someone, greater than us. So if you have been paying attention, we skip a verse in this poem here. So in the middle of this poem, in the middle of this hymn, there is a pivot point. There is a pause. There is a, actually a very long pause. Uh, in verse 4, David asks a very deep question. David asks, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So ask differently, what is so great about people that you even give a thought to us? So David has this aha moment when he considered the vastness of the skies, the moon, the stars, the creation, and then he looked at himself, what, what, what about me? What, what is me? What is so great about me, God, that you even care about myself? And that's the feeling that we often have. So interestingly enough, this very question, that question, this question is never completely answered in the verse that follow. Again, after this verse, David kind of continues on and then he starts talking about, you know, the, the, the man and then the, the oxen, the sheep and so on and so on. So David never, give fully answer, never fully answered this question. So again... Friends, this morning, this is the question to you. What is so great about mankind? Well, the obvious answer is not us. Because we are broken and we are fallen creatures and we are sinners. The question to this, the answer to this question is ultimately answered in the person of Christ. So scripture teaches us that Christ is the perfect and ideal man. 
So he is what is so great about mankind. When this question is posed, what is a man, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's Jesus. So God sent his own son, the son of man, to provide the sacrifice for our sins and to fulfill Psalm 8 in the way that you and I cannot. And don't take my word for it because we're going to have to go through Hebrew to see where this being demonstrated. So if you have your Bible, invite you to open to Hebrew chapter 2. And this is where the author of Hebrew, he takes Psalm 8 and then he applies chapter 8, he applies this to a person of Christ. We read in Hebrew chapter 2, starting from verse 8, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while, while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So this is how one author put it. Man as created reflects God's glory. But son of man, Jesus, in whom the original pattern is more fully realized, reflects the same glory far more perfectly. And that is the good news for us this morning. So that is the gospel. Gospel is good news, right? So that is the good news for us this morning. What David argues here, what David invites us this morning is to worship the Lord. Because although we are little, we are puny, we are insignificant, God has graciously thought of us, cared for us from the beginning of time. And although through sins, through failures, we marred, we impaired God's image, God has restored us in Jesus Christ. So because what Christ did on the cross, because as we just read through his suffering of death, that he ultimately conquered and then he became victorious, because of what he did on the Christ, we are once again, as Hebrew said, as Jesus, we are once again crowned with glory and majesty. So that is the very reason this morning, you and I, we can take this psalm, Psalm 8, we can read this psalm together, and then we can join our voice together with David, and we can proclaim O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
So let us pray. Almighty God, gracious and eternal, loving kindness, we grant that your word which we have heard, may this be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. As we receive, Father, your word, your word this, mor this morning with pure affection, our heart, Father, this morning will be filled, will be overwhelmed, Father, with sense of wonder, sense of awe and reference to you. Father, cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit this morning, to live in holiness, following your commandments. Because we know, Father, the work that you have done through Christ, manifested perfectly in Christ, we give Jesus all the glory and honor this morning, Father, because through the suffering of death, Father, he invites us fellowship with him and crown us with glory and majesty. In his name alone, Father, in the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 